0: Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. So we are wrapping up this morning the series we've been calling Character Under Construction, looking at the life of Joseph and how God used the circumstances of his life, both the good and the bad, to forge and shape his character. And one of the things we've discovered as we've been going through this story together is that that's the very same way that God works in each one of our lives that he uses the circumstances, he uses relationships, he uses both the good and the bad to to shape and form our character. And, And the whole premise of all of this is that no matter what you hope to accomplish in life, even if you reach all of your accomplishments, what you accomplish in life is not nearly as important as the person you become through the process. And your character is far more important than any other accomplishment you might have. And so looking at this and understanding how God builds and shapes and forms our character is really important because he works in the same way in each one of our lives. The circumstances might be different. They might vary from place to place, life to life, but the principles behind it are all the same. And so we've been looking at the life of of Joseph, the the one with the amazing technicolor dream coat, and um, as we've been going through, we've been kind of going through about a chapter um, each week. Today, we're covering four chapters, so we're just gonna kind of, you're gonna have to really kind of keep up with me. Um, and I can't give you the whole background. If you haven't been here, I really encourage you to go back and listen to the podcast because you really need to get the sense of the whole, the whole story to really understand what's happening when we come to the end here. But a brief snapshot of it is, Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers who were jealous of him because he was his father's favorite. Sold into slavery, um, he rose uh, to prominence in the house of the, the slave owner that he worked for, um, but because he was accused falsely of rape, was thrown into prison. He spent 13 years in prison, um, and about year 11, he thought there was an opportunity to get out. It looked like things were opening up, things were turning around for him, only to spend two more years in prison. And, and last week, we got to the point where... All of a sudden, he has this huge reversal of fortune that up until now, pretty much everything has gone against him. And God has been using those circumstances in his life to shape and forge his character and prepare him for what is about to happen now. And what happens is the pharaoh of Egypt has dreams, two dreams back to back. And no one can interpret the dreams, so Joseph is called upon because he's reminded. Someone remembers, oh, this guy could do that. They call him before Pharaoh. He interprets the dreams, and basically, the dreams are come down to this: there will be seven years of plenty and harvest and abundant harvest in the land, but that's going to be followed by seven years of severe famine, famine like we've never seen before. So he advises Pharaoh: the best thing you could do would be to find someone who is wise and understanding and put him in charge during those seven prosperous years to start storing up the grain because when the famine hits for those seven years, we're going to be able to provide food for the whole nation if we put this plan in the process. And of course, the Pharaoh turns around. He says, well, nobody else could interpret this dream and nobody else seems to have the wisdom about this whole thing. So you're it. And all of a sudden, Joseph goes from the dungeon to second in command in all of Egypt, just like that. And he goes from extreme adversity to now extreme success. And the real test of his character is about to happen. Because I believe our our character is forged in the times of adversity. But our true character is revealed in times of success. Adversity is where God does that work. But we don't see the fruition of it until we come to those times of, of success and prosperity. And we began to see that last week and this week we're going to see the ultimate test because what comes down to now is things really, really change and Joseph is faced with the decision because now he is the one who has all the power and he's called upon to forgive the ten brothers who had sold him into slavery. And I think that might be the ultimate test of your character. When you hold all the power... When you hold all the cards, when you are totally in control of the situation and you have the chance actually to bring vengeance on somebody who has hurt you, and instead you're called upon to forgive it. I don't think anything tests your character more than that. I think this is the ultimate test of Joseph's character because he holds all the cards, he has all the power, and now he's faced with the opportunity and the call to forgive. And here's why I think that's important, because life has a way of working out in ways that such the people that have harmed you and wounded you and hurt you in your life, somewhere along the line, things turn around, and now they are the people who need you. And very often, the person who hurt you the deepest and and, and harmed you the most is the one who will need you the most. And in that moment, you will have a decision to make. What will you do? And the natural inclination is It's payback time. (laughs) I mean, God's hand must be in this because now this person who hurt me so badly, now God has put them in front of me and now God is going to give me the chance to get even with them. God's going to call you to do something different. He's going to call you to forgive. And it is going to be the hardest thing you have ever done in your life because you're going to be called upon to forgive someone has hurt you and you will have the power to say no and I believe this will come for everyone in fact just by a show of hands this morning how many in this room would say there has been at least one person in my life or one situation in my life in which somebody hurt me and hurt me so deeply that I don't think I will ever be able to forgive them anybody yeah look around I think we all kind of fit in that boat at some point and some point, what's going to happen is if it hasn't already happened, probably that person's going to come back to you and is going to need your help. And you're going to be tempted to say, are you kidding? <laughs> whoa, 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 wait a minute. You want me to help you? Have you forgotten about what you did to me? Have you forgotten how you did? And you want me now to help you? And in that moment, you're going to be faced with that decision. And it's going to reveal your character. Because that's what happens with Joseph. Fast forward. What's happened now is um, they've already gone now through the, the seven years of plenty. And they're well into the famine year. So it's probably about nine years after he's been put in charge of all of this. And the famine has not just affected Egypt. It's affected all of the surrounding area. All the way to Canaan, which happens to be where his brothers and his family all still live. And they are experiencing the famine, and they don't have the savings plan. They didn't know ahead of time. And so now they are faced with this huge need to provide food. And they have heard that there is food available, grain available, down in Egypt. So Jacob, their father, sends these 10 brothers who had, who had sold Joseph into slavery back down to Egypt to, to, to buy grain. And as they come in, they are ushered into the presence of Joseph because Joseph's the guy who's in charge of all of this. And now he's got all the power. Now he's got to decide what he's going to do. So we're going to pick up the story. It's in chapter 42, beginning in verse 6. Joseph at this time is about 40 years old, okay? So um, they don't recognize him. In fact, here's how the story goes, beginning in verse 6. Now Joseph was governor of the land. And the person who sold grain to the people. So when Joseph's brothers arrived, they bowed down before him with their faces to the ground. Which, by the way, was a dream that Joseph had had years and years and years ago. And now it's coming to fruition. They bowed down to him with their faces to the ground. And as soon as Joseph saw his brothers, they recognized him. But he pretended to be a stranger and spoke harshly to them. Where do you come from, he asks. From the land of Canaan, they replied, to buy food. And although Joseph recognized his brothers, they did not recognize him. And then he remembered the dreams about them and said to them, You're spies. You've come to see where our land is unprotected. No, my lord, they answered. Your servants have come to buy food. We are all sons of one man. The servants are on, your servants are honest men. We're not spies. No, he said to them, you have come to see where our land is unprotected. But they replied, your servants were 12 brothers, the sons of one man who lives in the land of Canaan. And the youngest is now with our father, and one is no more. Joseph already knows that. So Joseph said to them, "Eh, it's just as I told you. You are spies, and this is how you'll be tested. As surely as Pharaoh lives, you will not leave this place unless your youngest brother comes here. Send one of your number to get your brother. The rest of you will be kept in prison so that your words may be tested to see if you're telling the truth. And if you are not, then as surely as Pharaoh lives, you are spies. And he put them all in custody for three days. Now, on the third day, Joseph said to them, Do this, and you'll live. For I fear God. If you are honest men, let one of your brothers stay here in prison while the rest of you go and take grain back to your starving bro- households. But you must bring your youngest brother to me so that your words may be verified and that you may not die. Joseph has him right where he wants him. The tables have completely turned. And he holds all the cards. He has all the power. And with one word, because he is second in command only to Pharaoh, everybody else has to obey whatever he says. One word and you've got them all put to death. He could lock them up for life in prison. He could choose to have them die one at a time with the others watching. He could do just about anything he wants to do because he holds all the power. And he's got a decision to make. The decision is to forgive. So here's a question we're going to look at this morning. How do you do that? How do you forgive when you're the one that holds all the power? When you have the chance to say no. When you hold all the cards and they're completely at your mercy. How do you forgive? And I think there's some things here in Joseph's story. And we're going to cover four chapters this morning. So we're going to move pretty quickly through the story and not read all of it. But just I want you to see some things here. And the first has to do with this. That you can forgive. You can forgive. Even with emotions left over. See, a lot of times people feel like I can't forgive unless I really feel like forgiving. That it's not true forgiveness if I still have the hurt left over, if I still have the anger left over. That I haven't truly forgiven if I still have these feelings about those people or about that situation. And the truth is that's not the case. You really can forgive even if you still have the anger left over even if you still have the hurt and the pain and the bitterness and all that, you can choose to, forgiveness is a choice. And you can make that choice even if you still have all those negative emotions left over. And I think that's what happens with Joseph. See, forgiveness is a process and it's a process that takes time. And it's a slow process. And the deeper that you have been hurt, the slower the process goes. And the slower it goes, the longer It takes to make progress in it. But you can start the process by an act of the will. See, Joseph holds all the cards, but he is like totally unprepared. See, understand this he has no idea these guys are coming. He's never seen, he hasn't seen them for the last umpteen years. He has no idea what's going on with them. He's just been in charge of this whole grain distribution. And all of a sudden, this one day, these brothers show up. He hasn't seen them. He just totally recognized them for the very first time in a long, long time. He is totally unprepared. He has no idea how to handle the situation. I think that's what's going on. And when his brothers arrived, they bowed down to him with their faces to the ground. And as soon as Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them. But he pretended to be a stranger and spoke harshly to them. Why? Because I think he's been caught by surprise. He's got all this inner turmoil going. He's got all this, all this stuff that's still going on inside of him. He's still churning over this. And, and just being caught by surprise because all of a sudden they show up and he's not ready for this. He's not totally prepared. I to had to handle this. And, 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 and I think that's, that's part of the deal. Because... Those emotions will pop up from time to time. Even after you've chosen to forgive somebody, there will be times when you think about that situation or that that person, and all that anger is going to start to churn up inside of you all over again. And I think that's part of what Joseph's going through. He's got all this inner turmoil about it. He gets really, really just stirred up over it, and and they don't recognize him because he... He has lived now in Egypt for probably something like close to 20 years. I mean, he is, he's dressed like an Egyptian. He talks like an Egyptian. He, he walks like an Egyptian. You know. <laughs> they don't know him. He recognizes them, but they don't recognize him because he's just an Egyptian official. And, and he's got the opportunity now. And he doesn't really know what to do with it. So he comes up with this plan. He says, okay... Here, send one of your number to get your brother. The rest of you will be kept in prison so your words may be tested to see if you're telling the truth. And if you're not, then as surely as Pharaoh lives, you are spies. And he put them into custody for three days. Now, I think, I'm just giving you the KJV, the Ken Jensen version. (laughs) I think... He just decided, you know what, I'm not sure how to handle this situation right now. All that anger is stirred up inside of him. All that hurt, all that bitterness, all that, resent, all that stuff is churning inside of him. And the one wise thing that he does is he doesn't make a rash decision. It let's them cool their heels for three days in jail. But it's also a cooling off time for him. And you might need that. Okay, because this is a process. This is going to take some time. And you might need, because you're going to have those angry feelings come up again. You're going to have those feelings of hurt come up again. And you're going to need to kind of separate yourself a little bit from him. And I think that's kind of what's going on here. He puts him in jail for three days, but he's just taking some time to think, okay, how am I going to handle this? I don't want to just seek revenge, but, but I want to do the right thing. And I think that's really, really important because he chooses to forgive even with all of that hurt and stuff left over. Because see, the true test of forgiveness is not that you feel all good and loving. I think the true test of forgiveness is you still feel angry, but you choose to do the right thing anyway. Because the truth of the matter is, forgiveness is a choice. It is an act of the will. And you have to make the choice, and the feelings follow. See, as long as you hold on to the anger and the bitterness, you will never forgive. But if you make the choice to forgive, it gives the chance for your heart to be healed. Here's the mistake that we make all the time. We think that if we continue to hold a grudge, that if we continue to hold something against the person that hurt us, that somehow we are harming that person. And we are not. You need to understand, they have moved on with their life. They have not given you a second thought. Whatever it is that they have done to you, whether they did it on accident or did it on purpose, they don't think about it ever again. The only person that you are holding in prison is yourself. The only person that you're continually continually hurting is yourself. And you got to make the decision to forgive. you got to make the decision to let go if you're ever going to experience the healing of your own heart. And you can make that choice without having all the loving feelings. See, this is what I love about the Bible. It's not sugar-coated. It's not a sanitized version. We get a picture of what's really going on with Joseph. He is struggling with this the same way that you struggle with it. And the more that you've been hurt and the deeper that you've been hurt, the harder it is. It is near impossible. You cannot do it in your own strength. But you can make the choice to start the process even with the hurt left over, even with the anger left over. So Joseph makes the decision. He's going to forgive them. The healing in his start begins to happen. But now he's got to know what's going on with them. So this is what he decides to do. He says, if you're honest men, let one of your brothers stay here in prison. Instead of keeping you all in jail and sending one to go get him, We'll just keep one of your brothers here in prison. While the rest of you go and take grain back to your starving household. But you must bring your youngest brother to me. So that your words may be verified. And you may not die. So he's taken the first step. That's the healing of his own heart. But now there's a second step involved. And it has to do with his brothers. Now the first step is really, really hard. I could tell you... of of situations and experiences in my own life where I have been hurt and hurt deeply by other people. One in particular, very, very painful time for Betty and I. We were hurt by a group of people who should have been loving Christians. And they hurt us, and they hurt us deeply, so deeply, so deeply that for years... For years afterwards, anytime I would think about that group of people or think about that place, I could not think about those people without all of those angry feelings start boiling up again inside of me. So believe me, I can tell you, I know how hard this is. And eventually we had to make the choice to forgive and start that process. And that started the process of healing in our own hearts. But the second part of forgiveness has to do with the relationship. And this too is a part of forgiveness. And here's what happens when you choose to forgive, when you start that process, when you forgive, it allows the possibility for reconciliation. See, the first part of the healing process is what happens inside of you. But the second part of it is the healing of the relationship. And the restoration of that relationship. And that is hard as well. That's maybe even harder. And, and believe me, you need to know something. This takes both parties for this to happen. And it may be impossible for you. But I think one of the things that we are called upon as Christ followers is to not just get healing for our own hearts. But to work towards reconciliation of relationships. Because the healing of our own heart, that's only halfway there. And when you look at the way that God interacts with us, He doesn't just forgive us, He also reconciled us to Himself. And I think that's what we want to strive for. Not just a detente, not just a ceasefire, not just, okay, well, you go your way and I'll go mine. If we never see each other again, that'll be okay, but at least I've forgiven you. No, He works towards reconciliation. Lewis Smedes, who I think has read, he's written the best book that I have ever read on this whole topic of forgiveness title of the book is Forgive and Forget. And he writes these words. He says, forgiving creates momentum. That left unbraked can carry a healed person back to the one who wounded him. Saying forgiveness starts a process. But the process needs to move on to restoration and reconciliation. Now, let me tell you ahead of time, that takes the rebuilding of trust. Because if you have been hurt by somebody if you have been somehow um, suffered a wound at the hands of somebody else, especially if they did it on purpose, you don't trust them anymore. And see, that's the deal with Joseph. And so what Joseph does is, he says, okay, I started the healing process of my own heart But I really want to work towards reconciliation. But I can't do that unless I know what's going on with you guys. I know what God has been doing in my life through all of this. But I got to know, has anything changed with you guys? And so he, he puts this test, puts them through this test. They don't know about it. But what he does is he fills them with, gives them bags full of grain And he sends them back, but in each bag, he puts back in the bag a pouch of the silver that they had brought with them to buy the grain. So in essence, they're getting the grain for free. He's sending them with the grain, but he's also giving them their money back, a full 100% rebate. And they don't know it, but he packs it all in them, sends them back home. He wants to know, are these guys honest now? How are they going to handle this whole situation? And then the second test is this thing with their brother, Benjamin. Because, see, Benjamin, he was like just a toddler when Joseph was sent away. Joseph has never really, really seen Benjamin. And Benjamin was only his only real full brother. The other brothers were half-brothers by other wives. Benjamin is the only real full brother. And he is the youngest now. Joseph was the youngest at the time. Benjamin is the youngest now. Benjamin is the only remaining son of the favorite wife of Jacob. So he has now taken favorite son status, the one that used to be Joseph's, okay? And he's got to know what's going on in the family dynamic now. How are things back home? Have these guys changed at all? How are they handling now the new situation with Benjamin? What's going on? How come Benjamin's not with them this time? He has no idea about all this. So he's got to find out. If he's going to entrust himself to them again, if he's going to reveal himself to them is he going to make himself vulnerable again and allow them back into life? He needs to know, are they trustworthy? So he sends them home with the money in their sacks, with the command, next time you come... You got to bring Benjamin. And by the way, just to make sure, we're going to keep Simeon here locked up. So they send him back. And they get back to their dad and they report what the the Egyptian had said and said, you know, we've got to bring Benjamin back next time if we're going to get food. And then what happens is they open up the sacks. And as they were emptying the sacks, it says, there in each man's sacks was the pouch of silver. And when they saw, when they and their father saw the money pouches, they were frightened. (laughs) I guess they were <laughs> and their father Jacob said to them you've deprived me of my children Joseph is no more Simeon is no more and now you want to take Benjamin I don't think so <laughs> Benjamin's my favorite I'm not no 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 there's no way you're going back with Benjamin This isn't bad enough. I lost Joseph to you characters. And Simeon, I don't know what's going on with him, but there is no way I'm going to lose my favorite Benjamin. Benjamin, he's like my last favorite. I'm not going to let you take him. And I'm sure the other brothers are thinking, well, that's all good for Benjamin, but what about Simeon? (laughs) Well, you know, stuff happens. (laughs) Not taking Benjamin. No way. No how. The trouble is that eventually they use up all the grain and the famine has continued. Remember, this is a seven year famine and they've got no source of grain. And they've used up all that they have. And they have a big argument, a big family discussion about this whole thing. And all the brothers are trying to convince dad. And in fact, one of them steps up. Judas steps up and says, listen, if we don't bring Benjamin back with us, you can kill me. I'll put my own life up for, for Benjamin. That's how serious we're on. And, and he's saying, no, we're not going to happen. You, you, you got to read the, you really ought to read your Bible. It's a really good story. Okay? This is good stuff. But eventually they can't do anything. They've got nothing else to do. Last resort, Jacob says, "Okay." Okay, you can take Benjamin, but you better bring him back cuz if I lose Benjamin too, that's going to be it for me. I'm going to die. That that'll just kill me. I can't handle that. I can't lose one more son. So they do. They make their way back. They purchase the grain Benjamin goes with him, Joseph sees him for the first time in however long, and and I'm sure he recognizes him because he's the only other son by the same mom, and maybe he even looks a little bit like Joseph, and he's reunited. In fact, he's so overwhelmed by the whole situation, he actually has to kind of go out of the room for a while because he just breaks down, balls his eyes out. It's such an emotional thing for him, and he's just struggling with the whole thing. He's got, he doesn't want them to see, so he goes out into the other room and just, just breaks down and composes himself, gets himself together, comes back to them, meets up with them, and he says, okay, you're honest, guys. Simeon can go. Here's the grain. Take it with you. Sends them on their way. But there's one more test. He takes his prized silver chalice And he arranges for it to be stuffed in Benjamin's bag. Sews up the bag, sends them on their way. Get a few miles out of town, and he sends a posse after him. And they come and they stop and pull them off to the side of the road. And they said, "How could you do this after we have treated you so nice, so fairly? After all that we've done for you guys, and now you would steal the silver chalice?" He so, said, oh, it wasn't us. We didn't steal it. He goes, no, no, no. You left and the chalice was gone. It had to be you guys. One of you guys has stolen this chalice from him. No, it wasn't us. In fact, one of them sends up and says, listen, listen. Whoever stole the chalice, you can kill them, but it's not one of us. He says, okay, well, let's check your bags. And they open the bags one by one and they get to Benjamin's bag and they open it up and there's the chalice. And like, this is, this is bad news. <laughs> gets dragged back to Joseph. Joseph says, how could you do this to me? They still don't know who he is. He's still just an Egyptian official as far as they're concerned. How could you do this to me? After the way I treated you, even when you you proved yourself to be trustworthy, I thought I could trust you, and I couldn't. And they had said, whoever has a chalice, you can kill him. So, Benjamin, you're over here. Judas speaks up, and he says, no, no, please, not Benjamin. Don't, don't, don't. I will take Benjamin's place. In fact, this is what he says. He says, if we go back to our father, if the boy is not with us, when we go back to your servant, my father, and if my father, whose life is closely bound up with the boy's life, sees that the boy isn't there, he will die. He says, if you don't let Benjamin go back, it's going to kill our dad. He can't take this one more time. This has been too much for him. This whole thing has gone on way too long. And if, you, if Benjamin doesn't come back, he's going to die. So please, let your servant remain here as the Lord's slave in place of the boy. And let the boy return with the brothers. In other words, Judah says, take me. I'll stay here. I'll pay the penalty. Just please let Benjamin, go back to our father. And in that moment, I think Joseph realized these guys really have changed. The ones who sold their favorite, father's favorite, off into slavery out of bitterness and resentment and jealousy, now are willing to give their own lives so that their father doesn't have to go through that again. They've had a change of heart, they're trustworthy something really has happened in their lives as well through this time. And that's the deal. If he hadn't taken that first step of forgiveness, never would have experienced the reconciliation. And what happens is that the whole family is brought to Egypt, and they're all cared for and all taken care of. Through the rest of that famine, they're there because of Joseph and because of his forgiveness reconciliation is not easy and for you it might be an impossibility because it takes two parties and the other party may be unwilling or they may be re- remain untrustworthy but you can still do your part you may have to settle for a limited reconciliation the relationship may never be the same that it really once was but it can be in a limited way restored that's what forgiveness will do There's one more thing, because Joseph finally does reveal himself, and they are terrified. But here's the last thing about forgiveness, that when you choose to forgive, you get a chance to see God's hand at work. When you forgive, you begin to recognize God and his purposes in your life. Joseph does reveal himself to his brothers. And they're terrified because they think this is it, the jig is up. But Joseph says these words. This is the biggest surprise of the whole story. He says to them, "Do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here, because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you." No, 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 no. Wait, what? 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 God sent you here? No, no, no. We, we remember. I, we don't want to bring it up, but it was us who sold you into slavery. We're the ones that are responsible for being here. He says, no, 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 no. God sent me here. Wait, wait, wait. God doesn't work that way. If God is with you and God's working in your life, everything works out smoothly. If God is with you and God's at work in your life, you don't suffer injustice at the hands of other people. If God's at work in your life, you don't suffer cruelty at the hands of other people. If God's at work in your life, you never get hurt by anybody else. God doesn't work that way. Yeah, he does. In fact, Joseph says it again. God sent me here ahead of you to preserve you, a remnant on earth, and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then it was not you who sent me here, but God. Now, I don't think he would ever have really recognized that had he not been willing to start the forgiveness process. And I think when he started the forgiveness process... He started to look at his life a little bit differently. And that's what we have seen through this whole story. That one of the things that Joseph learned through this whole experience, through this whole life experience, was that God was with him in every situation. That God was at work even when other people were being cruel, even when they were falsely accusing him, even though he was unjustly punished. God was still with them. And here's the question to ask yourself. When you suffer at the hand of somebody else, when somebody deliberately hurts you for no reason of your own, when you suffer an injustice, here's the question to ask yourself. And I love this. Andy Stanley raises this question. He says, here's the question to ask yourself. What would someone in my circumstances, given this set of circumstances, just like mine, what would someone who is absolutely confident that God is with them do? And then do that. What would someone facing the same circumstances I'm facing do if they were confident that God was at work in their life? What would someone facing this hurt, this anger, this harm, this wound do if they were absolutely confident that God was at work even in that situation? And then do that. Because that was the thing that Joseph learned. That God is able to work and often does work through difficulties and adversity. That God even works through the arrows and the wounds and the pain that you receive at the injustice of other people's cruelty on your life. God still works through those things. Because God has this incredible ability to turn evil into good. (laughs) And only God can do that, by the way. See, we're really good at turning good into evil, but only God can turn evil into good. And the benefit that we have now Is that 2,000 years ago, this is the benefit Joseph didn't have, but we had the benefit of knowing that 2,000 years ago, God sent his one and only son to this earth. And he hung on a cross in payment for your evil and mine, for your sin and mine, for your failures, for your mistakes and mine. That God took All the evil and cruelty and injustice and wickedness that this world could possibly dish out, and he took it on himself so that we could be forgiven. He did that for us so that we could know the forgiveness of God and not just the forgiveness, but the reconciliation. God takes evil. And does good. And the most horrendous evil that was ever committed on this earth, that we would crucify the Son of God, brought about the greatest good that has ever been brought to this earth. You see, forgiveness is the currency of God's economy. We wouldn't know a relationship with God. We wouldn't know forgiveness had he not taken that upon himself. And that's why so often you read in scripture where it says, Forgive as God in Christ has forgiven you. Because he has not only forgiven your past, he has brought you into a reconciled relationship with him so that you could be healed of your hurt and your pain and your wounds. And in turn, help heal others. And that's not easy. (laughs) And you cannot do it in your own strength. But you can by the grace of God. Because that's what he did for you. Would you bow your heads with me?